again, it goes back to the very first thing we said, I'm going to drink more water. If you say that, you're probably not going to. But if you say, I'm going to drink one bottle before noon, I'm going to drink one bottle before four, I'm going to drink one bottle before bed, I'm going to have three of those every single day. Now there's a roadmap of how you're going to increase your water intake, which makes it far more likely that you're going to actually do it rather than this arbitrary and big goal of, I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to lose weight. There should always be an answer to how, right? You should always be able to answer that with, okay, how are you going to do that? If you don't have an answer to that part of it, that would be the very first thing that would be, I would suggest doing These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. Okay, man, it's, it's the time of year when people are you know setting up new year's resolutions and they they just had thanksgiving and halloween and christmas and they ate all the things that they shouldn't have and they feel like they need a reset and there are so many like trendy diets out there but the thing i appreciate about you is you are always like the voice of reason and everything that you say seems almost so obvious that it that it's not sexy and but you're you are the voice of reason when it comes to nutrition and with so many people starting out i feel like reason is the best place to start so i mean how do you how do you attack this when people say all right now's the time i'm going to make the change like let's go that is a good question and you know i appreciate you being kind in your verbiage there and saying i'm the voice of reason (laughs) i've been everything from soul sucker to a heartbreaker to everything else but yes i i uh, i try to speak pretty practically to it all and honestly it's because simplicity is all that's really needed i think you know for me um being a dietitian one thing that i've learned in working with people and i really learned this when i was working in the hospital because you get so many people from so many different walks of life that come in is you have to take what people believe what they understand and, and hear them out right and figure out you know what's going to work the best for them because the reality is this is there in my experience in working with people whether it's through my business now or whether it was through the hospital is a lot of people are under the belief that there's this one best thing and they just haven't found it yet right there's new stuff coming out all the time 
And the reality, and this is from kind of this is from a this is from a a nerdery standpoint, my professional standpoint, knowing the data, knowing the science, all that, there isn't a best one, right? There are a couple of non-negotiables that have to be a part of any nutrition plan if you're wanting to accomplish a certain goal. But the strategy or the path that you use to accomplish those couple non-negotiables is really open-ended, which just provides so much flexibility. So going back to your original question, how do you how do you navigate this with people? You have to kind of figure out where they're at and meet them there, right? And I, I will say that I think, and and I apologize to anybody that is listening that's experienced this, which is a profound number of people, I'm sure. Anybody has sat down with a dietitian and been told what you need to go do rather than sitting down and figuring out where you're at and walked through, how do you figure out, to how do you find something that works for you based on where you're at? doing things that you can afford, right? Oh, you know, here's this diet, go buy it all at Whole Foods. Like, well, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't you know, like I'm on a fixed income, I can't go buy everything at Whole Foods. So rather than sitting down, telling them what they need to do, figuring out where they're at and how to make those things work the best for them. Yeah. And those non-negotiables, I'm going to take a stab at it and say that's like calories in, calories out. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this goes back to the, you know, again, people thinking that there's just this best, like there's this nugget or this trigger that people have to, or this switch that has to be flipped to kind of, you know, outsmart your body to begin. And like, I hate, I hate terms that get thrown around because they're not true. Like fat burning mode, you know, you've got to be in ketosis or you've got to be in metabolic insert fancy word that very few people know what it means because probably not even real, (laughs) but (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yes. At the end of the day, the, 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 the single non-negotiable is the foundation of a plan. If you think about a pyramid and you split that pyramid into three parts, the foundation of that pyramid is your, your calorie intake, your nutrition intake, your energy intake, right? Because we we think about calories being something that makes us fat, which is a word that I also hate, but we think about calories make us fat. They're also are the very things that propel you to do the things that you love. They're the things that help you work on the ranch. And they're the things that help you and I go out in the fall and, and hunt and to do the things that we love. They're also really good. So whatever your intake in is, whatever your energy intake in, it needs to match what your goals are. For some people, yeah, that's weight loss. So you've got to eat less than you, you burn. It's that simple. Some people, they just simply want to maintain and manage the same weight year round. So there needs to be a reference or a relative range within what your needs are versus your expenditure. And some people are wanting to put on muscle or they're wanting to gain strength or they're wanting to gain weight, right? There's this perception that, you know, I want to lose a bunch of weight before I get into the mountains. Well, you also have to understand that that's probably going to come at the expense of some strength. Are you sure you want to be your high school weight? Because that might not mean you can haul out an elk. So that's not always advantageous. So yes, the foundation of that pyramid the intake has to match whatever your goal is. So again, the strategy doesn't matter, but that's a non-negotiable. You can't get around the law of thermodynamics. Yeah, and and that's really what it comes down to is a calorie is an amount of energy. That that's the way that we we measure food is in calories and how much energy potential is in that food. And I don't think people understand just how much energy that actually is. So one calorie can heat one liter of water, one degree Celsius. And for those that they hate the metric system, which, you know, I am occasionally part of that team, 
That means that you can take a liter of ice and with a hundred calories, you can make it boil. That's a huge amount of energy. There's, there's more energy in a cheeseburger than there is an equal amount of weight of TNT, but calories from a cheeseburger don't necessarily transfer that energy as quickly, which is why we can't make a cheeseburger, you know, blow up a building or whatever. You are a very smart man. That is all good stuff right there. <laughs> I'm just trying to recite things that I've read. I'm not smart. <laughs> well, you found one of the good, you found one of the good Google sites. If you pick that up off there, cause that was pretty, that was a pretty good analogy. Okay. All right. So calories in calories out. That one's not negotiable. And then understanding what your goals are and making those goals reasonable. That's, that's really practical. Um, did you get any questions? Um, I, I noticed that you put something up on Instagram. Are there some questions that we need to answer for folks before we kind of get into the weeds here? No, I didn't. I, nobody had, uh, nobody had submitted everything. Probably, they probably didn't want to know any good nutrition before the holidays, right? We're, we're recording this three days shy of Christmas. They're like, no, I know yeah, they listen to don't this tell later. me. Don't <laughs> tell yeah. me. Ears, ears closed. But I mean, it, it's, you know, even without submission of questions, there's usually, a few things that people get interested in, right? So when you start talking about, because whenever you and I had linked up, we talked about doing a podcast about this, really your initial question was, you know, how do you want to get together and do a podcast on how to help people plan nutrition for the new year? Yeah. And so there were a couple of things as I thought about it over the week about, you know, this obviously comes up every year around this time. What do we typically talk about? I will say this, you would likely anticipate sitting down with someone like me and, this guy talking, you know, diving into calories and macros and those things are important. They, they play a role in this, but I will say, as I started to think about this, where, what's the number one kind of key that most people seem to be missing or, or that, that prevents most people from ever accomplishing the goal that they set on late December or early January. It's nothing to do with nutrition. It's nothing necessarily to even do with activity. They lack a plan. Right. There's no real blueprint in terms of like, how am I going to get from point A to point B? I've got this goal. I'm right here, but I've got this goal that sits over here. And, you know, so they'll, they'll say general things like this year, I'm going to lose weight. This year, I'm going to get fitter. They use these very general terms, but there's no they, they never take 15, 20, 30 minutes an hour to map out. How am I going to do this? I'm going to need to do this to accomplish that weight goal. I'm going to need to do this to accomplish that performance goal. So you, the very first thing, if, if people were to, if I were to meet you on an elevator, you said, Hey, heard your, you know, I heard this is your, your job. What would you suggest I do to, you know, to accomplish my goals this year? I would tell you, you need to have a formidable plan, right? And then as a part of that plan it needs to be realistic and you have to commit to it for the long haul. You can't get into the middle of your plan and two weeks into it, start reading Facebook articles that are shiny and new and think, ah, that looks better than what I'm doing and then be changing all of the time. The driver of any goal being successful in my experience, whether it's on performance or whether it's with weight is you've got to consistently do the things that you set out to do in the beginning. If you're changing all of the time or if you're doing them during the week, but you're, you know, you're rewarding yourself on the weekend for the work done during the week, it's a wash. You have to be consistent to really see some meaningful progress so there needs to be some sort of a strategic plan and a part of that plan, it needs to be realistic and you need to be committed to it. Yeah, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's not that 
this is not that easy to execute, but it's easy to think about. And getting started for, for many people is the hardest part, but that doesn't mean that it's suddenly easy to, to keep going. And I remember um, when I was at, at Wounded Warrior Battalion, Camp Lejeune, I was going through all these doctor's appointments and all this physical therapy and, and um, it was really consuming, you know, it was about eight hours a day, just of that, just of physical therapy and, and different doctor's appointments. And I was also taking yoga at the time. And I remember asking this instructor, uh, how long am I going to have to do this? Like, how many yogas do I have to do until I'm done? And she's like, no, well, you have to do it forever. Like it, it's like good eating or drinking water. Like it's something that you have to continue to do to receive the benefit from. And I was like, well, I don't really like this that much. So I'm out. <laughs> I kind of quit doing yoga, but that wasn't necessarily the best choice for me. It was just that I was overwhelmed with everything else and I had to cut something out. I, what I'm hearing from you in this approach to, to eating well is that it's not something that you can just do for three months. Like this has to be a change that, that you make and that you stay consistent with. Yeah. And, and I think that all of that loops back to the first part of it needs to be realistic. Right. And so what, in my experience with working with people and, and, and just to give people like a, a little bit of a background, I am not saying that I've got it all figured out. I mean, in fact, you know, 15 years ago, what led me to being a dietitian was, 140 pound weight loss of my own. Right. And so I'm still feeling my way through managing that 15 years later. Right. And sometimes I feel like I've got it whipped. And then there's other times like Christmas being one, we made some Christmas treats the other day and I'm having to go back to basic principles that help me lose that weight so I can stay faithful to managing it. But I'll say with that caveat that I'm not perfect, that in working with people, I've seen that we, f- we tend to feel like if we can't achieve perfection, why even start, right? Like why bother? An imperfect action always beats doing nothing at all. So if that, even if that, 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 that blueprint that you said in the beginning isn't in alignment with maybe a buddy of yours, what you've read, it's not quite as good as you would want to do, but it's better than what you used to do. That imperfect quote unquote action is always going to beat you doing nothing at all. Right. And so that loops back into your consistency statement there. What I did 15 years ago to take that weight off is pretty much what I do 15 years later to keep it off. I monitor my intake and and that's easier. It's gotten so much easier over the 15 years. You know, it started as a discipline, started as as a discipline and then seeing some progress, maintain that discipline. And now it's just habit. Like I can't I can't imagine what my life would look like without it. But it still is basic. I keep an eye on my nutrition and I exercise. That's at the end of the day. Yeah, there's some nuances in there and little bitty things. But at the end of the day, if you were to say, you know, what are the two core things that you do day in and day out to really manage something like that? Those are the two things. And so it goes back to your original point. Yes, you, that's why the realistic piece is important, because if it's realistic, you're far more likely to be consistent with it. So. One of the the elephants in any room right now uh, is is COVID, and I freaking hate talking about COVID. But there is something called a comorbidity. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, where a lot of the people who have had harsh effects from this illness have also been overweight. So 
you know, one of the great things that people can do if they're concerned about getting COVID and getting sick from it is lose weight. And that's going to dramatically increase your odds of, of not, not feeling as sick and certainly um, decrease the, the odds of you dying from it. Would, would you agree with that? I think that there is some interesting data with COVID that says, yeah, most, you know, when you look at a lot of the folks who struggle, they had underlying diseases, which is what you talked about with comorbidities, you know, different lung conditions and other things. But yeah, the one thing many of those folks had in common was potentially a weight issue. But I think even just saying that in the realm of COVID is probably narrowing it too much because when you look outside of that, like you hear about, you know, when you start hearing about diabetes and you start hearing about heart disease and you start hearing about all of these other things, the primary driver of those diseases is typically weight, right? I mean, you, it, and that's not all, like there's going to be people listening to this and they're going to say, well, I'm not overweight yet. I have heart disease or I'm a type one diabetic, which typically isn't tied to weight. That's a hereditary or genetic thing or something that's, you know, you're diagnosed with even as early as childhood. But as a general rule of thumb, typically most of what's driving the chronic disease is an inflammatory state caused by obesity. So yes, you would be doing yourself a quote unquote health favor to, if you have some of these to lose weight. You get a lot of people who focus on specific regimens for diets to manage a chronic disease when in reality, if you lost weight, some of those some of those things that come along with some of those symptoms that come along with chronic disease would get better, if not completely go away. I mean, that was that was my story, right? Like I, I shared with you, that was 270 pounds, and I had I had high blood pressure at 21. I was starting, I'm sure, to develop pre early diabetes, all of these other things that go along with the type of lifestyle that I lived. And when I changed, all of those things disappeared. You know, and my diet, what I ate didn't necessarily change. The dose did, how much of it I ate, right? Calories in, calories out. Now, certainly there was a lot of dramatic change. It, it wasn't like I continued to eat the exact same thing that I did, but um, I think you kind of see what the heart of what I'm saying. What was the trigger for you? What What made you tell yourself, all right, now's the time? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was Christmas morning um, when I was 21. So, you know, I'm actually coming up on my quote unquote anniversary. And I was uh, like, you know, I was 270 pounds. I'm five foot six. So I, it wasn't like I was oblivious to the fact that I wasn't in great health. <laughs> yeah. And um, but, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and and like it was just part of culture there kind of, you know, you, it was just it really wasn't really that big of a a deal, I guess, you know, I really talked about it, but we opened gifts as a family Christmas morning, however many years ago it was. And I went to lay back down before the bigger family came back over. And man, I just had these terrible chest pains and I didn't know anything at the time, but I figured that had to be at least not good at my age. And so, you know, I woke up the, um, uh, the next day after everybody had, we'd celebrated Christmas and just started to make very small changes. You know, I was in college at the time and spending a lot of time with friends. I wasn't home much. I wasn't cooking, but when I'd go out to eat, you know, I'd get uh, grilled chicken instead of fried. I'd get uh, baked potato rather than a bunch of French fries. I'd get water instead of soda. I just started making these small things, but I did them every time I chose what I was going to eat. I did them every time. 
And I slowly started seeing the weight come off. And so then I just got really interested and wanted to know, like, you know, what else could I be doing that would would help this? So I slowly got into changing some of those habits. And then I started exercising. And then I really wanted to know, like, what's happening inside of me? I mean, I I knew an apple was better than a, a burger. Getting grilled chicken was better than getting crispy from a calorie standpoint. But what's actually happening in me? So I uh, went back to college and I had a I had a uh, career guidance counselor tell me that I had no history with science. I had no history with math and I probably would fail dietetics and getting into the pre-dietetics program at the college that I went to. I said, you're probably right, (laughs) but let me uh, let me try. And if I fail, change my major. And I basically just had no life and just studied, 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 studied and learned as much as I could about nutrition. It's how I wound up in Idaho, uh, getting placed out here on a dietetic residency program. And the rest is history. High school and and early college guidance counselors um, can often do a disservice to people. Um, My high school guidance counselor, when I was asking about like options for for school after after high school, uh, she told me that, you know, maybe you should just join the workforce, which there's nothing wrong with joining the workforce. Um, And I think trade schools are a tremendous option for for kids today. But I I ended up being really successful in in college and and in the follow on schools in the Marine Corps and stuff like that afterwards. Sometimes people will tell you stuff like that because they know that you're going to fight against it, that that's going to be the motivation to to encourage you to keep going and, and to overachieve. But sometimes you just don't need to listen to those people. And this comes back into some of these trendy diets. You know, there is massive marketing power behind these things. And since so much of the population is interested in losing weight and needs to, you know, there's there's an issue with diabetes, especially in the U.S., but also in, in many countries around the world. That's a big market group for them to draw from. Okay, They have a huge audience of people and there's a lot of money in this. So those people don't necessarily have your best interests at heart either. And yeah. and they're willing to lie to you in order to make money. Um, the thing that, that has always attracted me to the approach that you take is that I don't get that sense from you, even in the slightest. And in the things that you say, you don't, nobody could get the sense like, oh, this guy's working an angle. Like you're just trying to help people with wherever they're at. And it's super admirable. Well, I really appreciate that. And um, that has always been my goal. So I'm glad to hear that it comes off that way. And before I really started to study this, I was like everybody else in terms of nutrition. I mean, I'm a, I'm a one man show. It's about the only thing that I do know well now, but it hasn't always been that way. And, you know, in my own pursuits of trying to lose weight, I had tried all of those things. And before I had enrolled in school, and I remember very vividly going through school and I loved, I mean, I just loved nutrition. So I, I mean, I read about it in my off time and read about it in class. And the one theme that I remember regularly recurring was, man, everything everyone is selling is just untrue. Yeah. I mean, if in, and, and, and I've said this so many times and so I apologize if it's redundant, but, you know, again, people gave me one minute of their time. And so, you know, what's, What's the one, I have a good understanding of nutrition. What's the one thing you tell me to focus on? It would be just to simply become very, very good at the basics. 
And that's knowing, you know, what your nutrition needs are, making sure that you hit those day in and day out and be very consistent with those. And so you, we go back to that pyramid that we talked about earlier with the foundation being the intake versus the output. The second foundation of that would be that your where that energy comes from needs to line up with your goals as well. We'll revisit that. The third tier of that pyramid is everything else, meaning it doesn't matter. You know, this idea, if you master those first two pieces, you will get 99.999999% of the way to where you need to be, as well as you will be able to stay there. That other 0.0 extending (laughs) 0.1 may, you know, even when you, even when you start reading the, the, the nerdery of the research, like I have to do to really uh, understand it myself, even then it's like, it may benefit you, but we're talking about, you know, if it's, if it's trying to improve performance, we're talking about, instead of you running a seven minute mile, you run a six minute, 59 second mile, maybe, maybe, you know, in other words, the, the, I think, I think what's important to remember whenever you look at a lot of what these, these, um, I try to be sensitive when I talk about this because I know a lot of people use them, but uh, products that are promoted by certain brands, when you start looking at, okay, they're suggesting that you're going to reap an advantage. Even if the advantage is reaped, you have to ask yourself, is it a game changer, right? Because when you look at research studies, they'll say that something is beneficial, but the degree of benefit is so marginal that it's not worth the money or your time and, and really concentrating on it. And so it all loops back to your point that, yes, um, there are many, 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 many companies who realize the quote unquote pain points of the population. They play on those um, and then they make money. And most of them hate me because I try to tell you why they're not true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's fine with me. I mean, I'm fine to live to live there. One of these, uh, one of these companies came up to, to a friend of mine and he, he was a professional shooter, uh, performing at a high level and they offered him, you know, some, some powder drink stuff that they said would help with, with focus. And his first question was, is it USADA approved? And they said, yes, absolutely. And he said, then it doesn't do shit. And <laughs> I think that that's also an interesting metric is like, if, if this is legal for Olympians to use, then it probably doesn't do very much for, uh, yeah. for a human being. And if it's yeah. illegal, yeah, it may not be very healthy. Yeah. No, I mean, it, when you, you, whenever you start to rabbit trail down the hole of supplements, there's a couple of things that we loop back to. And it's, it's like, well, what's, what's the best thing you could do for an athlete or someone trying to increase their performance, whether it's, you know, people that do mountain-based stuff like I work with, or whether it's an Olympian or whatever, it's like, tell them to drink coffee and tell them to meet their nutrition needs. And I mean, study after study after study shows that if people are doing that, they are reaching what is possibly their best genetic potential. Everything else is pretty much null and void. Okay. Well, I've got a handful of questions for you. Oh boy. What are macronutrients? Macronutrients are the place that we get all of our calories from with exception to Ida, with exception to alcohol. Um, but they are the nutrients that we need in the largest amounts in each of them. There are three play a very specific role in performance and a very specific role in human physiology. Okay. So what are they? 
What are the three? Carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And like we referenced earlier, this is not necessarily considered a macro, but it is the only place aside from the three macros that we get calories, and that's alcohol. So the primary role of carbohydrate is energy for the body. That will be debated, but it's inevitably true. Every cell, most every cell in the in the uh, body, red blood cells, brain cells function exclusively on glucose, which is a byproduct of breaking down carbohydrates. So there is a threshold that's needed. Even if you eat all fat, part of that fat's going to be broken down and processed and a portion of it will be converted into glucose. So even if you get someone say, oh, I'm, you know, I only eat fat. Well, part of that is inevitably getting converted into glucose. Fat, the primary role, it can be used as energy, but it's a much slower conversion taking consumed fat and turning it into actual fuel, especially in high intensity type of pursuits. Its primary role is the transport of hormones and the transport of fat soluble vitamins. Protein, the predominant role is uh, not for an energy source, but to repair and recover the muscle. So when you look at that second tier of the pyramid, you're basically trying to dose those three macros to do what it is that you want to do. You give yourself the amount of carbohydrates you need based on training and your day-to-day work. Nothing more, nothing less. Same with protein, same with fat. So you're trying to accomplish a job or a role for each of those. And determining, well, I don't want to get into into that too much, but when (laughs) when you worked with me, you said, okay, how much do you weigh? How active are you? What are you trying to do? And then you told me the number of grams of each of those macros that you wanted me to consume every day. And, and that was kind of the, the, the basic outline of, of how we got started. Yep. So there is this, this goes back to that very first thing where focusing on the basics, the mix of the composition of those macros, the percentages uh, that you allocate from each group are not near as important as people put it. There is no magic ratio. Now, a certain portion of those do need to go to protein for recovery of the muscle, for uh, requisite hair growth. If you cut your finger, something's got to heal that skin. So there is kind of a non-negotiable threshold that needs to be hit for protein. That's based on weight. So it's not like I can just say, okay, everybody go hit a hundred grams. That's it's very, it's variable. Yep. From there, fat and carbs can be completely to preference, which goes back to our original point of, okay, well, you know, the plan needs to be realistic. Well, if I, if you love carbs and I tell you that you've got to go eat a low carb diet, probably not going to last very long. If you love foods high in fat and I tell you you need to go eat a low fat diet, probably not going to last very long. And if the foundation of our pyramid is calorie control and all of our calories come from carbs and fats, why am I nickel and diming you trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do? Because at the end of the day, the only time that those ratios become a problem is if you notice performance or physiology suffering. For example, if you're in the Wallawas or you're in the mountains and you're trying to take on a really high intensity pursuit and you tell me, I did really great at mile one and two, mile three, I hit a wall. Well, what were you fueling? I was trying to eat a bunch of fat. Well, now all of a sudden your low carb diet hinders your performance and we do have to change those ratios. But aside from that, you know, most of us maybe spend, you know, for for those of us that are fortunate enough to live close 30, 
days in the mountains, some more, many less. Sometimes it's as few as seven, right? Which means that we're spending basically 300 and what, 58 days a year in our office and at our homes where it's not going to be quite as important what those ratios are unless you know you're doing some type of really intense training volumes during your normal exercise or whatever. So that's a question that comes up a lot is like, what ratio should I be following? Just follow a ratio that fits you. You need to dose your protein accordingly. And if people really were to just pin me against the wall, put a gun to my face and make me spout out an answer, 40 to 60% of your intake, I generally give to carbs. We dose protein to weight. So then whatever the remainder is, we'll give to fat. Yeah. Reasonable. Makes sense. <laughs> um, that, uh, that sort of dark olive colored moss that you see hanging off of uh, conifers in, uh, in, in the Northwest um, is actually a lichen. And you'll see bull elk, especially consuming that at a really high rate during the rut and that lichen is a hundred percent carbohydrate and it's something like 97% digestible. So that is more or less the equivalent of, of eating gummy bears, which I know is kind of a, a, a favorite thing of yours. So that gives them a huge amount of energy that they can expend right now. And they're, they're on the go. Yep. They don't necessarily need a bunch of fiber that, that, uh, that takes a long time for them to digest and that they actually have to regurgitate and things like that. You know, what you're talking about, if you're crashing on mile three of a hike is, well, you're, you're consuming a type of energy that converts really slowly when maybe you should be focusing on an energy that you can convert more quickly, like a gummy bear. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I've seen bull elk in September move up a mountain and I want to do whatever they're doing. Right. Yeah. But, but to answer your question, yes, it's, you know, it's, it's not that we are saying fat is not an energy source. It can be. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a, as a matter of fact, whenever you're doing lower intensity activity, the body's going to pull a bit more from fat, but even then, it's the body is so much smarter than us. It's very dynamic process. And what is being used as fuel is going to be uh, going to vary based on what you're providing. Like, what are you actually eating? What's left? What have you burned? What's your intensity look like as, as intensity increases, once the pendulum shifts to like 85% of the maximum you could do, the body's using almost 100% of carbohydrate for energy. So it is dynamic. Fat can be used as fuel, but what we're saying is it's not as quickly converted from food consumed into usable energy. As a matter of fact, we know carbs is almost three times faster, which means faster muscle contraction. And that's why study after study after study after study shows that when you compare cyclists or hikers or marathon ultra guys, the carb group tends to outperform the fat groups. Not like the fat group it's not like the, the, the group that's eating most dietary fat for their fuel isn't finishing. They're finishing. They're just doing it slower. Now, if you were to, if you were to say, if someone were to say, and this happens, I, you know, I've tried that and I just feel so much better eating more fat in the mountains. That's what you should do there. Again, it goes back to the individuality of a program and tailoring it to the person. And that's what makes nutrition so hard. And you know, you'd commented on some of the stuff that I posted on social media a bit ago, you've probably been, you know, uh, um, 
you've probably been frustrated or people have probably been frustrated by me constantly saying, well, it depends. It depends. It depends because it does. It depends on so many different factors. And there's no, that's, that's my other, I guess, vendetta against the quote unquote industry is they advertise to the masses, but it doesn't fit the masses. I mean, there's so many things that can play a role in it. So that's a a lot of rambling to say that if bull elk got it figured out, that's what I want to do. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, people, people are individuals and there's a lot that's consistent across, um, homo sapiens as a species, but we are individuals and we have individual needs and, and how we perform as individuals changes quite a bit. And when you're talking about getting a a fit that makes sense for you, that's why talking to a dietitian is a smart move. Um, I run across people all the time who are very, very good shots but they, they miss when it matters. And a lot of times the reason is because their gun doesn't fit them. Most, most every gun on the shelf is built exactly the same with the same stock. Um, and you can't do anything to change that. So if you take a gun, like the cross rifle that you can adjust to fit you suddenly that person who is a good shot is now hitting stuff. Right. And I think it, it just goes back into the, all this same stuff. But, you know, if you're finding a plan that fits you, then you're going to be able to achieve the level of performance that you can achieve with that plan. Whereas yeah. if you have a plan that doesn't fit you, that's a plan made for everybody. Yeah, it could, but chances are, it's not going to work as well as something that's custom. Yeah. And it makes, you know, what it makes me think about is it, it makes me think about the sports psychologist that you had on as a guest. And I went out and bought the book that he had suggested on there like confidence kills, right? Yeah. You were talking about that in the context of, of hunting and, and it and it rolls over into here. Many, 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 many people feel de- so defeated on this topic. And it's not because they weren't unsuccessful. It's because they didn't have something that fit, yeah. right? They, they tried something that fit their neighbor or that fit an influencer on social media or, or their doctor told them this is what they need to do or, or whatever. And so many, many people are defeated in their mind, even going into this. And it's no wonder they are afraid to start anything because they don't want to feel, feel that failure again. And so it's, you know, I, I would in, encourage people if that is them, it's not because you sucked. <laughs> it's, it, it's just because you tried a shoe on that didn't fit you well, or your rifle didn't fit you well. And, and you just, it's a matter of finding what does fit you well and then engaging in that and, and you and just keep it simple, right? I mean, if you can keep these couple of basics that we've talked about at the forefront of your mind, I think that would be a dramatic shift in what many people have tried before and they would find success in. And I'll say this too, even on the trading front, many people that I've met, they get the, the idea of including exercise isn't something they like for understandable reasons. I, I will often challenge people who reach out and they say that, go find, what do you like doing? Number one, what competitions exist that you can compete in, in that sign up for it? Because now all of a sudden you're not exercising to burn calories and lose weight. You're training, you're training for an accomplishment. There's a goal and it becomes fun. Right. And then as a natural byproduct, guess what? you lose weight because you're simply having fun and one action begets another. So now all of a sudden you're not going out to burn calories. You're going out because you're, you know, training for an upcoming, whatever. And this was, 
This happened with a, a client recently. She hated exercise, but she loved riding barrel racing, oh. right? And so, so well, how does this translate into barrel racing? She's like, well, if I had strength, I could do X, Y, and Z while riding the horse. I was like, well, then train, sign up for a barrel race and we'll begin training for that barrel race, right? And now she's, <laughs> you know, she's, she, yes, she's seeing progress by way of weight loss and getting stronger, but it's not that she has to go out and burn calories is because she's training for this event. And it's so much more fun when you shift your mindset of like, oh, I'm going to pursue something rather than going to just burn calories. You know, I mean, that, who, that doesn't appeal to anyone. So I think that that also could be something in the bucket for people like, you know, if in, in building that confidence, it's not, it's not that you, maybe you don't hate this. You just hate going out and spinning your wheels and who doesn't. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. And if, uh, if maybe that gal loses a little bit, a little bit of weight, her pony is probably going to get faster. <laughs> Speed might pick up. Yep. Um, well, I wish her the best luck and hope she has fun. Okay. One of the wild wests of nutrition seems to me to be the gut biome. Lots of people talking about it. They're talking about trillions, trillions of bacteria living inside, you know, your lower intestine. What's the deal with the gut biome? Something I need to be concerned about? Some like is it does that change how I live my life? What 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 are your thoughts? I mean, it's a thing, right? It's there there's way too much of a connection and the more that we know the more that we know, the more that we realize we didn't know anything and the more that we realize there is a connection. And I think too, the more that we realize, boy, we, this is like almost like the brain, right? Studying the brain, there's still just a lot that we don't know. I will say that a lot of the focus is put on probiotics, right? So people trying to consume millions of different probiotics and drinking kefir and drinking all these other things a big component that is overlooked this is going to ruffle some feathers is prebiotics and fiber so that good gut bacteria is like anything else that's living it needs fuel to survive one of those fuel sources is the byproducts of fiber so you need to eat more vegetables right it's more than you know this whole idea of well the dietitians are always telling me to eat more vegetables it's way more than 20 years ago of meeting your five servings a day and matching the plate. There's significant health benefits to it for the gut bacteria. The other piece is things like prebiotics. So people often avoid, this is a prime example that may appeal. Or I don't know what a prebiotic is. We're going to talk about it. Okay. So you get people doing now one of the popular diets is the carnivore diet where you eat nothing but meat, Right. We don't have time to go through all why why that's just a gigantic error. One of those is it excludes things that have prebiotics, potatoes, bananas, ripe bananas specifically. And so what happens with those prebiotics is it gives that gut fuel to ferment on, which improves good gut health. So there are things that are, you know, part of some of these fad diets that even if you're seeing results on the scale you, it doesn't mean you're getting healthier, right? And you've got to balance both of those things, which is why anything that has you doing anything extreme is probably not, it goes back to your comments on the Olympic Association, right? Probably not going to be offering you a total benefit. Yeah, you might be losing weight, but your gut is trash, your cholesterol is out of control and, you know, whatever else is going on too. So, 
Yeah, the gut biome is a thing. Is it something you need to obsess about? No. Again, it goes back to the basics. Eat your fruits and veggies, eat plenty of nuts, eat good fats, eat proteins, uh, meat-based proteins, animal-based proteins are always going to be absorbed better um, and yield a higher muscle building profile than some of the other sources. I am not saying that vegetable proteins aren't good too, but they aren't as good as meat-based proteins. Eat your whole grains. All of these things work in synergy with each other, right? We, we, we tend to sort of um, get tunnel vision, right? So we, we, we get on a fad diet that fixes one problem, not realizing, okay, well, the other 90% of your problems still exist. So it goes back again to the basics of like grandma telling us, eat your fruits and veggies, eat your oatmeal, eat eggs, eat your proteins, eat, right? It's just, again, just most of the common sense stuff that we have that we already know if applied would get people 99% of where they want to be. Okay. So a prebiotic is in potatoes and ripe bananas, but is it just a, is it fermented like, or is it something that can ferment? Yes. So it's fermented in the gut, right? It's, it's, and those are two examples. There's a list of different examples of, of foods that contain these. Those are just a couple of them. But really what you're trying to get is some of, and it's usually from some kind of a starch or some type of a carbohydrate, because again, that gut, you think of about when you make beer or you make um, bread, you get yeast, you get a bacteria that feeds on the sugars or the starches inside of whatever it is that you're making. It's similar to this. You get a starch of some kind, you have good gut bacteria that feeds that, that fuels the cells in there and it, it causes improved gut biome basically and again there's just there's that's it it's just so much to know about it that it's i think you have to kind of talk at least i do talk about generalities when it comes to it because it to me it's always more important to master the basics rather than to get in the complex pieces of it so it'd be better for someone to be at a good weight with foods that they know sit well with them than to worry about the nuances of of the gut yeah it, it, it's a fascinating thing to me. And I think because of consciousness and our, and our egos, we think of ourselves as individuals. Like I am a, I'm one thing, but realistically I am an environment. I am a community, a collaboration of organisms. And I am a, you know, many trillion bacteria and, and a bunch of other things that are all coexisting in order to be able to, you know, do the things that, that I do, but yeah, it's, it's a wild thing. Uh, micronutrients. We talked about what are macronutrients, uh, what are micronutrients? So micronutrients are needed in smaller amounts in a nutshell. They are your vitamins, minerals, things of that nature. So like when you start talking about micros, you look at vitamins, the, the B12 family of vitamins, vitamin C, some of the others. People tend to be deficient in some of those. What what are some some chronic deficiencies that you've come across? It's a good question. Um, so the, I think the family of B vitamins is a good example. You can get them from a host of different places, but they're most prevalent in like whole grains. So if you completely eliminate whole grains, I'm not going to say that you're going to be deficient because they're available in other places, but there's a potential there. Right. If you go, um, if you if you stop eating meat altogether, the biggest risks are vitamin B12 deficiency and iron deficiency and zinc deficiency. 
um, there's a lot. I mean, I, th those are the most common that pop up. Vitamin D deficiency is very prevalent, and that's typically associated with where you live in the U.S. So if you live above a certain latitude in the U.S., you're probably deficient just because of insufficient sun exposure, especially in the winter. Now, you can buy vitamin D fortified foods, but there are very few to no foods with naturally occurring sources of vitamin D. Yes, there are some, but the quantity is less. So most people tend to supplement with that. Uh, but there are, you know, I've seen, I, I, I worked in the hospital with folks who have had um, weight loss surgery and you know, that, that deficiency tends to be deficiencies tend to be tied to the surgery itself as opposed to anything else. But I did see quite a bit of deficiencies in there after the surgery. Yep. And I think it's, I think something that's important to point out, um, that I'll often talk to people about is when it comes to micronutrients, again, like you're, you're always hearing people like me say, Oh, eat your fruits and veggies. And my brain immediately goes to the plate and the five servings and the antiquated advice that we got whenever we were in elementary school, but there's more important reasons than that. Whenever we just talked about gut health a bit ago, but one of the primary roles of micronutrients is converting the, it, it plays a role in the process that converts food that you've eaten into usable fuel. So it keeps that in, in a nutshell, it keeps that process spinning like a conveyor belt whenever you think about a, a product line or a, a production line, right? Keeping things rolling down that conveyor belt, those micronutrients, some of those vitamins and, and minerals that are involved in that process, keep that conveyor belt moving so you continue to have good turnover so you're able to provide yourself with good fuel. Gotcha. Okay. Grass-fed versus grain-fed beef. No pressure. Uh, should, no pressure yeah. whatsoever. I'm I'm genuinely curious. I was going to say we should ask you this, shouldn't we? I mean, I'm 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 biased. I'm I'm totally biased. So I'd well, be I, the wrong person to ask. I'll answer it, but what is your bias? Um, I prefer grass-fed beef. I'm I raise grass-fed beef. It makes sense to me. You know, I I hunt grass-fed animals. It, it makes more sense to me. I don't necessarily love, uh, I don't love the way that corn is, is utilized in the country, corn, corn and soybeans, uh, nothing against farmers. I just think that, that there's some bad stuff going on there. And if that's the primary way to get a, a cow or steer really fat, really quickly, then maybe I shouldn't be consuming that type of meat. Are you wanting my personal opinion or more of like a scholastic dietitian opinion? I want to know what Kyle thinks. I don't eat beef. I, I just, we eat elk and, and deer. So I don't necessarily have a, a, a preference on that front. I will say this, when you look at the nutrient profiles of both, the one place grass fed tends to stand out above grain fed is in healthy fats. So they tend to have higher omega omega fatty acids as opposed to beef tends to be lower but again the total fat intake is relatively the same right like so if you were to compare the same cut with another cut of grass-fed versus grain-fed they may both like let's just take four ounces of sirloin for example they may both have about six grams of fat but the ratio of omega-3s to non-omega-3s would maybe be higher with the grass as opposed to the grain protein content, protein quality in terms of amino acid 
profile, which is what causes muscle building, they're going to be about the same. Okay. And omega fats, you know, we, we tend to associate those with things like fish oil, salmon, et cetera. Um, Those are good for your heart and brain. Yep. Bingo. Okay. Um, Heart and brain, pretty important organs. I would, I would list them high (laughs) if I were to rank the importance of, of organs. I think skin is another, another good one. So uh, skin, I mean, that's our biggest organ, right? Skin is a fascinating thing and uh, I'm fascinated with it in animals as well. And I, you know, learned this year, the very obnoxious fact that a moose's skin is 7.4% of its total body weight. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. Congrats, by the way. That, oh, that's thank a great you. Moose. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's tremendous meat as well, by the way, like that is the most satisfying meat I've ever consumed in my life. It is, it just feels good to eat it. I bet. I hope yeah. to taste it someday. Yeah. So what, if we're, if we're concerned about our largest organ being our skin, uh, what should we be focused on consuming in terms of macros, micros, anything like that? I don't think that there's a universal you know, do this and you'll get this. Obviously water, drinking a lot of water, obviously staying away from things that you don't tolerate well. There's a lot of foods that people will tie to eczema, like skin breaking out. So obviously you don't, you don't want to eat those. There is no study to this point that has said like two, two of the ones that get beat to death the most are milk and grains and wheat specifically. Like if you eat those two, you're going to have skin issues. That's not a universal observation. We've not seen that. Right. But there are people who do eat those who do have problems and obviously they don't need to stay away from it. So I think drinking plenty of water, eating good protein, uh, quality and quantity, because obviously when you, when you eat protein, the body breaks whole proteins down into these individual blocks that we call amino acids. And those are what's responsible for repairing yes, muscle, but also skin. So making sure that you have plenty of there. Right. So then you, then you have to, that it brings up the inevitable question about like, well, what about collagen protein? If you're eating any protein, you're going to get all of the amino acids. So focusing on one individual isn't necessarily going to reap you some great benefit as opposed to just having a good overall protein intake, which again goes to kind of that second tier of the pyramid. What, what are your numbers? What thresholds do you need to be at and hitting that consistently? Right. So I think that those are good. And then obviously the whole fruit and veggie thing would be good as well, because yes, they're loaded full of water. So it's contributing towards total fluid intake. But in addition to that, Every time you look at a fruit or a veggie and you see a different color involved with that fruit or veggie, there's different antioxidants involved with that. There's different nutrients involved with that. And so the broader the variety, the more the benefit in terms of your your overall health. And that obviously plays a role in terms of of your skin. Yeah. So eat your colors. Man, I suck at drinking water. I can go a couple days and have not drank any water at all and, and never really feel thirsty. And I think that a lot of people are chronically dehydrated and, and don't necessarily realize it. Um, yep. Is there a, a way, like, do you ever find yourself coaching people on ways to drink more water without consuming a ton of calories while doing it? 
Yes, but I think it's like anything else. It's it requires work. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's something out of the ordinary, and so it's got to be a commitment to consistency. And I think again, w- one thing that's always important to balance is wh- okay, we've got this idea of what optimal is, and you're sitting over here. Maybe practical sits in the in the middle. So may, you know, like we talked about early, imperfect action always beats no action at all. So if you can't hit optimal, you can't drink, and I'm making a number up here, 20 glasses in a day, you currently drink five, maybe you can drink eight, maybe you can drink 10. That's more than you're doing, even if it's not optimal. So that, first of all, it's important to lay that foundation. Second to that, yes, people have probably heard this advice before, setting an alarm on your phone. But what I found to be the most helpful is having some sort of a tiered uh, bottle, right? Like one of these, I've got an Nalgene bottle that's here, but it doesn't have to be Nalgene. It could be anything with with markings on it. Setting incremental goals for yourself. By noon, I'm going to be to this hash mark. By four, I'm going to be to this hash mark. Or even if you buy those disposable bottles at the grocery store where you get like 50 of them for $5. By noon, I'm going to have one drink. By four, I'm going to have the other drink. And then I'm going to have another drink before I go to bed. Some sort of Again, it goes back to the very first thing we said, I'm going to drink more water. If you say that, you're probably not going to. But if you say, I'm going to drink one bottle before noon, I'm going to drink one bottle before four, I'm going to drink one bottle before bed, I'm going to have three of those every single day. Now there's a roadmap of how you're going to increase your water intake, which makes it far more likely that you're going to actually do it rather than this arbitrary and big goal of, I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to lose weight. There should always be an answer to how, right? You should always be able to answer that with, okay, how are you going to do that? If you don't have an answer to that part of it, that would be the very first thing that would be, I would suggest doing. Yeah. And there, it has to be quantifiable, right? So if I go to buy a bottle of men's body wash, almost inevitably, it'll say something at the top, like, 33% 33% more like more than what like yeah. <laughs> you know that's crazy yeah. uh that it, it's marketing and it seems cool it's like oh man I'm getting 33% more more than what like let's work with some quantities here I don't know okay and I think I think on on that note too it's important to remember that the metric you're measuring against should be your former metric it shouldn't be your buddies or your neighbors or whatever right like Oh, well, you know, I, if, if, if you say like, oh, well, I improved, here's a, a great example. People will improve their, how long it takes them to run a mile, but they'll be disappointed in the improvement because it's not as fast as their buddies. And it's like, well, your buddies six foot three and a genetic freak, you're five foot six, like me. And, you know, run at a pace of a snail. You don't have long legs. You can't expect what your buddy has. But look at what you did. I mean, you improved dramatically and that's, you know, that's worth celebrating. That's worth getting excited about. So the, whatever metric you're measuring yourself against needs to be an improvement from you, not anybody else. Amen. I love that. Carry that into every aspect of your life, not just nutrition. Yeah. My, uh, my fiance and I built a sauna this year and I can go sit in that thing and drink half a gallon of water in 20 minutes. It is remarkable. It That's more water than I would normally consume in like three days. And I, I think that that's, that's been something that's personally helped me a lot is 
you know, exercising my skin in a way that it's transferring a bunch of sweat all at once. And then I'm also consuming a lot more water as a product of it. This podcast has made me right here establish my 2022 goals, and that is to come sit in your sauna and eat moose meat one day. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) we'll probably do those two things separately, but we can make it happen. We can make it happen. It's pretty nice right now where it's just colder than hell right now and there's snow piled up. Um, I could snowmobile to town right now, but uh, yeah, it's pretty nice to sit in that thing at about 160 degrees and, you know, drink a bunch of water and look outside at a cold world. Yeah, it looks, and it looks great too. You did an awesome job on it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun. You know, it's a fun process too. It, It takes about an hour to get it, get it up to that 150, 160 degree mark. And, uh, and you're going out and, you know, cutting up a little bit of wood and building a fire and, and there's nice, nice warm fire glow to it. It's just a pleasant experience. And I, I, I know that that's not something that everybody can have. I feel very fortunate to be able to have it. Um, but I wish more people could do this because it, it is a wonderful thing. Yeah. What, What's the, what's the one thing if, if somebody is like, okay, it's uh it's January 1st, you know, this is my time. This is my year. I'm going to make the change. If they're going to look at any type of a diet, what, what's like the one red flag that if they see this, they should go, something isn't right. If you look at it and you think, Oh boy, it's not right. And I think the other tool that the other litmus test that I think is worth doing is, is you need to look at it and give yourself the rule of three. Do you see yourself doing this for three days? Yes. Okay. Do you see yourself doing it for three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years? If the answer in any of those scenarios is no, then you need to find something else. And now it seems sort of illogical to say, well, 30 years, but uh, if you can do it for three years and you feel like at year four, year five, year six, year 10, you can't, you will go back to what you were doing, right? And it will require whatever you do to accomplish the goal, it will require you to continue to do that to maintain and manage the goal. So if you don't feel like this is something you can marry yourself to, it's probably not going to be a good fit for you for a long period of time. So expectation management is important in in all, all aspects of life. There are a lot of things out there that claim, all right, you're going to lose, you know, 10 pounds in 15 days or whatever. I'm making, I'm making shit up right now. Um, It's pretty accurate. (laughs) what, What is, what is a, a reasonable expectation? Um, if, if you are say, all right, let, let's say that you're normally burning, say, 3,500 calories a day um, in your daily life, and you reduce that by 1,000 calories a day. Pretty, pretty drastic cut um, yeah. as far as consumption. How, well, how does that translate? So it doesn't. It's not that, it's not that linear. And, okay. and it goes back to your, your question where it says, well, what should someone expect? Number one, I think what's important to measure, it's good to have metrics, but you could do everything right 
and that scale does not move a single pound over the course of that week. Now, somewhere in culture, we have tied that to mean we're a success or we're a failure. And then usually our actions thereafter follow whatever the line is that we tell ourselves, right? Which is usually I'm a failure. So I quit. This didn't work again. I'm done. What would be far better to measure is your effort. Did you, what, what are the variables you can control? Did you do the exercises that you committed to in the blueprint you wrote for yourself? Did you eat at home more than you ate out this week? Did you prepare your food more than you did? Did you stay out of the Snickers jar? Did you only eat one cookie? Did you, whatever, right? Whatever the, the variables are that um, you can measure, it's important to measure those because you can do everything right and nothing changes on the weight. Second to that is you have to remember that weight is highly variable, meaning I have when I when people are in the program, I often tell them you should weigh every day and you should take an average of those weights and we'll watch those trends over time because it'll fluctuate as much as five to seven to more pounds based on any variety of different things. Second to that is what I typically tell them is we want that average to be somewhere between one and two pounds per week throughout the duration of the program. There will be weeks where it's a lot and there will be a weeks where it's none at all. Simultaneously, we should measure inches because there will be weeks whenever the scale does nothing and the inches fall off like water out of the sky when it's raining. Right. And so um, one of the reasons that we have them do that is because. We know that, so when even when you look at this from a study standpoint, if you take three groups and one group decides to exercise and only cardiovascular, you know, they're running, they're walking, they're doing whatever. Then you have another group who does resistance training in combination with cardiovascular exercise. Then you have a third group who only does resistance training. We find that the cardio group loses more weight, but they also lose way more muscle mass. If you take the same groups, if you take the other two groups, they lose less scale. The scale changes less, but they lose more fat and retain more muscle. So we cannot give too much credit to the scale. When people say, I want to lose 20 pounds, what they're, they don't care about the scale. They care what getting leaner offers them. Right. And so we have them take inch measurements in combination with their weight. And we aim for one to two pounds per week because we know anything more than that typically means it's coming at the expense of muscle. So, yeah, the scale might be going down, but who wants the scale to go down because you're losing muscle? What you really are chasing isn't the number on the scale. You're saying, I want to get I want to lose fat, not weight. Right. So it's important because of that to not give too much credit to that number on there because it's highly variable and it doesn't tell the full story. So we typically, again, aim for an average over the course of a period of working together of about one to two pounds per week. That's not sexy. It's not. But <laughs> if you, it, it's not. It's not at all. But and that's the thing, like we have been so cultured to think that this scale is the driver of our success and that we tend to think that the scale moving downs means we're getting skinny. That is not true. You are losing a profound amount of muscle in that time too. So yes, the scale is changing, but the amount of fat that you actually have is not changing at all. And that is often why you may see a rebound in weight quickly after stopping any sort of a fad diet. So, you know, you hear people say, well, that's the good weight that you're losing. That's the weight that stays off, quote unquote. 
that's a much slower weight loss because it's genuine fat. It's very hard to take off fat. It's a slow process. Just like we didn't put it on overnight, it's not going to come off overnight. But if, if a person will commit to that process and being slow and patient in it, they'll find way more muscle retention, way more energy for the things that they enjoy doing, and they'll find a way better end product that they actually want as opposed to getting to the end and just feeling completely weak because they have no more muscle. And it goes back to like, you know, what most of your listeners do is spending time outdoors. Okay, well, that's great. You followed the fad diet and you peeled 30 pounds off in the month before your sheep hunt, but you can now you have zero energy to get up the mountain for the sheep because it was all from muscle as opposed to being a slow sustained period over six months. Like I will get, I will get messages every year in August. Hey, I'm leaving for a month. Will you work with me to take off 30 pounds or what, what, what would you suggest that I do to take off 30 pounds in the next month? I will say, you should reach out to me next January and try to take that off over six months as opposed to the next 30 days, because it's, you can take it off, but it's going to be muscle, which I can promise you isn't what you want. Part of it's going to be muscle. Yeah. Well, and for, for the, for the sheep hunters, for the high angle hunters, um, I don't, I don't care what it is. If it's steep, wherever you're going and you've got to carry some stuff in and out, let's think about this in a way that makes the most sense to me and try it on for yourself. We can talk about losing 15 pounds, losing 30 pounds, and those amounts seem a little bit hard to understand, but could you possibly imagine carrying two bowling balls with you in your pack to go hunting? And if the answer to that is no, under no circumstances would I ever carry two bowling balls with me while hunting, then maybe you should consider that a bowling ball weighs about 15 pounds, a really big one. And if you get started now, then by the fall, when you're going up the mountain, you no longer have to carry those bowling balls with you. And that's going to make a significant difference. I'm not saying that you have to be in good shape to go hunting. I'm not saying you have to be skinny to be a sheep hunter. I'm not saying you've got to be a a bodybuilder to, to pack out moose and elk because I'm none of those things. Okay. I'm none of them and I can still do it, but I would be able to do more if I was in better shape and if I had less fat on my body and, and the, the ways to do that are not simple. Um, well, they are simple. Um, they're not sexy and they're not easy, (laughs) but you've, you've just got to be consistent with it. And you've got to talk to a person who knows what the hell they're talking about and isn't going to lie to you. And you're that guy. So I can't encourage people enough to get a hold of you. How do they do that? If, if they want to go ahead and, and make that difference and not pack bowling balls with them while they're hunting. Well, you're, you're kind to say that, um, you can reach out any way that you want, Doug. There's a website that's got all sorts of different information. There's some free resources on there too that guys might find helpful and like. It's uh, V2P Nutrition. So the business is Valley to Peak Nutrition and all of the social outlets, the website, all of that is uh, the letter V, the number two P nutrition.com. Um, there's a, at, there's a, a link on there where you can email me or you can send me something on one of the social media outlets. I'd be, I'd be happy to help either way. You're the man. I, I want to thank you for your time. We're 
like like you said, that this podcast is coming out a couple of days after Christmas. We're recording right before Christmas. I don't want to take up any more of your time. I want you to be with your family. I wish you a very Merry Christmas. And uh, and just thank you again for for all of your help and all of this information. It's wonderful. It's been my pleasure. Real quick, I I the uh, the whole conversation with prebiotics was not sounding right to me. So I looked it up. Leeks, garlic, and onion are the main foods. The other, what I was talking about with bananas and potatoes is resistant starch, which is an entirely different topic. So I didn't want, I didn't want folks to get confused there, but yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And I appreciate what you do for the hunting community as well. And I hope you guys have a great Christmas. Thank you very much. October, November, December, they're just the best months out of the year, right? Whether it's for work or hunting or fishing, the holidays, spending time with your family, just it's awesome, right? And we've got some nice cold mornings now and you get to go out and have a, a warm drink in the duck blind or out on the hillside where you're glassing for, for mule deer or elk or, uh, or sitting in a tree stand waiting for a whitetail to come past. Or you're working on the job site and you get to take a break and have some nice warm coffee waiting for you. It's pretty nice. Having a cold drink at the end of the day, that makes everything a little bit better too. My favorite Stanley item right now is the 14 ounce titanium travel mug super lightweight because it's made out of titanium. So I'm willing to take it with me when I'm hunting, throw it in my pack, fits in every cup holder out there. And it just seems to be the right amount of coffee. Uh, I I like it. It's a really cool item and it fits a niche that I didn't have uh, filled in like any of my other drinkware categories, I guess. Uh, If you're looking for a Christmas present for somebody or just a gift that you want to help them out with, I recommend this because it's pretty cool and it's something that they don't have already. The way most discount codes work, completely honest, is uh, if you use it, then whoever gave you that code gets a kickback. Now, I'm not a salesman and I want nothing to do with that. So I'm going to pass along to you a discount code that Stanley gave me because they're great supporters of this podcast and they're great supporters of this audience, which I love. So if you use the discount code SIXRANCH, the number six, the word ranch, you'll get 25% off anything you order from stanley1913.com. I get nothing back from that. I don't want anything. I just want to pass along some savings to you and save you a little bit of money and get you connected with this great company that makes really great products. And as we move through fall and, and get into winter and the holidays, just hope everybody's doing well and, and having a good time and, and that you get to Get out there and connect with nature and and connect with your friends and family and have a nice warm drink while you're doing it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, Follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.